right, Justin Bourne joins us, as he always does, Monday uh, morning for our Leafs Hour on Good Show on Sportsnet 5.9 The Fan. Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, and uh, we just got the news, Borny, that Alex Edler has a hearing with the league, and apologies to Kevin Bieksa, but yeah, I think that was pretty pretty filthy-looking knee on uh, Zach Hyman. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I'm glad to see he does have a hearing for that. Um, you know, there, Kevin Bieksa talked about that um, at intermission after that. I thought he, he made some interesting points about how, you know, you never really intend to give a guy a knee-on-knee hit, even uh, even the dirty plays. It's sort of like an instinctual, just try to get a piece of this guy type of thing. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the intent was. It's a, such a bad play. Um, you know, the NHL has done a pretty good job of penalizing it uh, swiftly and severely, but that one was worst-case scenario. I think Edler was at the, the end of, like, a two-and-a-half-minute shift or something. Three minutes, yeah. Three minutes, which yeah. probably didn't yeah. help, but, yeah, man, bad play. Really bad. Yeah, it was a bad play, and you're responsible for your actions. There's no doubt about it, but I do think that BX's points were, were clear and were very good, which is, yeah, that's a reactionary instinctual play. So I, I have zero problems with that. Like, two things can be true, and it was a dirty play. It's one that deserves a suspension or at least a fine. And two is that I don't believe that Alex Edler is sticking out his leg thinking, oh, I'm going to knee him. Like, yeah, right. I don't think that that's happening. Obviously, that's not happening. There's, there's two big things here, though, now. One is it's Hyman's surgically repaired knee, which automatically makes us assume that it could be worst-case scenario, which is possible. They've said that they're optimistic or that he's optimistic and whatever that's worth, I'm holding on to it because it's the big question of the day is if he is out or if he's not even able to be at 100%, can the Leafs win? And this is the question that I've been toying with all morning. Can the Leafs win if Zach Hyman is either not in the lineup or not himself? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, we've had this conversation uh, a number of times where you know, we are all established Hyman lovers. That's a thing, uh, and that's great. Who is but like the Yeah, but like the power rankings of where Hyman is in terms of importance to this team is like, you know, when the three of us have this conversation, it's scary high. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I think we've said it's like Matthews, Marner, Hyman. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's just looking this morning, even at the, like the raw stats, like in about the same number of games, he has as many points as Willie Nylander and more goals. It's like it's... To, not to mention everything else he does in terms of penalty killing and last minute protecting leads. So, yeah, I you know I, I read something. Um, you know, Jonas Siegel does something in the Athletic on Monday mornings just about how um, you know looking at you know what Nick Foligno can do and kind of plug into that Hyman spot. It's like get out of here. I don't want to see that. Like you know, there's no replacing that guy. And, and he mentioned that as much too. But it's just like. I really want to see this team fully formed. And I think that's been a, an issue in the past few years. Like it was always like when this team has everyone, they sure will look good. I sure would have liked to get a couple of games where they had everyone. Well, especially considering that obviously the reason why you go out and add Nick Felino is that you're trying to make your team better, but also that it gives you the potential of having a top six where both lines have a guy that loves to go in, loves to be a four checker, will battle in front of the net and we'll do all of the dirty things. And now if that doesn't happen, all of a sudden your lineup flexibility changes so drastically, right? Not only do you not have that power top line option of going with the Hyman, Matthews, Marner look, but 
you are searching for a third line again, where you say, mm-hmm. if at least if Hyman drops down, you feel as though all of a sudden Mikheyev is a different player, right? All of a sudden, the potential to have Kerfoot there is a different player. All of a sudden, the Riley Nash... I don't know if Engvall's going to be there come playoff time. That's why I'm not mentioning him. But Engvall's been a better player with Hyman. That's the good thing about Hyman is that he's the fixer. He's the guy that goes up and down your lineup and fits wherever you need him. So removing that puzzle piece is awful. But I I, I I am having trouble being that mad at Edler because this is so much process, result... Like, that's a reactionary play. A game before that... And I actually thought this went really under the radar. Zach Hyman, just about, who was it on the Jets that he almost chopped in the face with his stick? Like, if that stick (laughs) is a little bit closer, it actually makes contact with a face, then we're not even worried about the Zach Hyman injury because Zach Hyman is serving a lengthy suspension that goes into, God, I don't know how long. That was like a... Chris Simon play. So a lot of times these things are a bit reactionary. A lot of times you lose your head for a quick second and it results in an awful play, which again, you deserve to be accountable for. But I, I'm not going to blame Alex Edler for, to the extent that I think some Leaf fans will. But I'm terrified. I, I got to say, I'm terrified about losing Zach Hyman. I think that the Leafs need him to win. And yeah, if I am looking at this of players of most critical importance right now that you could not lose, it would be probably Matthews, Marner, Muzzin, Tavares, and then Hyman. But the fact that he's one of your best five players, you just can't lose that if you're trying to win. Well, and what's wild too is, you know, this guy, you know, you mentioned it was a, it's a surgically repaired knee and we have talked all season long about the cost of Zach Hyman, what he's doing to his next contract. It's like, if this guy's had a banged up knee and Mm. if it's, you know, hurt again, how much term do you want to give to a guy? If you don't know what what you're going to be able to get out of him, you know, you hate for injury to hurt a guy's pocketbook, but like if I'm the Leafs and it's the same knee and the same issue, the term I'm willing to go on the next deal is different. I am not going six years on a guy if I'm not sure he's going to be hobbling around for any portion of that. And that sucks, but like, man, Poor that's just the nature of the business. Yeah. You hope it's not a Jake Gardner situation where, I mean, Jake was obviously a lot longer in the tooth when the, when the back issues started uh, showing up and he was never the same guy after leaving the Maple Leafs. But yeah, you hope for, for his sake that that's not the case. I, I, we're putting the card, I guess, way ahead of the horse. Yeah. Although, when you when you talk about a guy who played three playoff games on a destroyed knee, the fact that he didn't immediately get up off the ice, probably not a great indication. No, they said he was optimistic in the dressing room, and I know this sounds like, I'll believe anything, but I kind of think that matters. Like, I do too. I know, I know if my knee was shredded the second time, there's no positivity coming out of my mouth. No. <laughs> And the only the only pushback I would have to that, and I don't really mean to do that because I'm trying to stay optimistic about it too, because yeah. it would just be the worst thing. I, I can't. It just would be so awful if the Leafs got to this point. They push the chips in, and then they lose one of their top five players heading into this playoff run, or he's compromised. But if Zach Hyman is the leader, which I believe him to be, then trying to keep the room light and trying to be optimistic and not being a sourpuss about it would kind of fit the MO of, of that player. And the wait-and-see yeah. approach, uh, that that would be the one that you'd want to have, that everybody would be trying to keep spirits high because of the season, because of the contract. Like, you got to remember, this guy, 
is thinking he he has to be thinking about those things as well, right? His future, his contract, oh, yeah. him trying to win a Stanley Cup, his impact on this team, where he is in the lineup, him being around his teammates, like all of that has to be flashing through his head right now. So yeah, it's bated breath that we're waiting for this thing. Um I don't know when the Leafs are going to address it, but the longer it goes on, the more my fear is going to uptick because we do well here we have the, no, you the technology to skip in this morning, right? What? Yeah, but that's it you is that we skip have into the dressing room. I need it. I need to know that he's going to be okay. And this goes back to the same thing that I've been discussing all week or last week when when Ben was gone at the end of it, but it really does feel as though load management in this season is going to hit a little bit differently. My only pushback to the load management thing has been the Leafs haven't looked very good over the last couple of games. They obviously had a ton of chances yesterday and Holtby got the best of them, but anytime you lose to a team that was hit with COVID that way and was off for as long as they do, it's it's really hard for me to just say, well, your expected goals was good. They still lost. They only put two behind Holtby. That do you guys have any concerns as to the nature of kind of saying our priority is rest and recovery when you're still kind of trying to establish habits and you still want to be going into the postseason or the last final stretch of the season hot or your best selves? It, it does feel like there's a diminishing importance to the wins, but maybe that does come at a, an added cost that we didn't factor in for a sport where normally you don't do that. Yeah, it's a good question. It's funny. Like, there's almost been like this assumption that they're going to win the division. It's like they're three points up, I think, on the Jets or something. Like, mm-hmm. it's or maybe four. Like, it is not a, it's not a given uh, by any stretch. Uh, you know, I, I really, I, I worry about the handful of games, maybe a half dozen games heading into the playoffs. Like, you'd like to see a healthy team. You'd like to see a fairly stable roster uh, or, or stable lineup in terms of like who's going to play with who. So I'm still kind of okay with them trying things out, mixing things around, resting people if they can. Like the switching of the D pairs for last night's game was by all means just an experiment. Just yep. exactly. Lost born. He made his good point. You were an experiment. Yeah. <laughs> good one. <laughs> here's here's my thought on it. I need there to be doubters. I need this to be a situation where they go into the playoffs not like they have at their best, not coming off the three wins in Edmonton where they allowed one goal and totally shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl. I need this. Like That's a, a, a bizarre feeling to have just complete faith in a Toronto Maple Leafs team going into the playoffs, and then when they get out goaltended in game one and they go down one game to none in the series – then you have your freak out. No, be on edge. Have everybody on edge, the players included, but us as observers, fans, everybody. You don't want a, a sense of complacency. But that being said, I do think the resting of the older players especially is still important, and I don't know how much you actually lose from the roster by taking Joe Thornton out of it uh, every once in a while. And obviously Jason Spets has already signed up for the idea of not playing back-to-backs. Wayne Simmons, throw him in there. Austin Matthews already put his hand up again and said, hey, the wrist felt a little bit wonky. Give me a day off and I'll be back and, and ready to go. I have already made my assessment of this team before adding the perfect guy at the deadline that they're the best team in the North Division. I've seen enough. I'd seen them play the other teams. I'd seen it on paper. Nothing's going to change my opinion about that. There's only one thing that will derail them, not from winning a Stanley Cup, because I do think uh, without Zach Hyman, it totally changes their odds of winning a Stanley Cup. But there's only one thing that will derail them from getting out of the North Division in two rounds, and it's their own goaltending. Outside Mm -hmm. of that, 
they're the they're the best team in this division. Yeah, they're the best team. Resting guys is important. I like the idea of resting Spezza. I like the idea of resting Matthews. I want them to be healthy over everything else. My position has not changed in that. They should be looking at load management with these players down the stretch, and they should be trying to get guys as healthy as possible. That being said, the only thing that feels a little overlooked is that when there's already a lot of complacency down a stretch drive, Mm -hmm. that it's only human nature to look around the roster and say, well, Matthews is getting a rest day today. Well, Spets is getting a rest day today. That maybe the guys who are getting the spots lower down the lineup care a little bit more. Maybe a guy like Nick Robertson feels as though it's a really, really important, I don't want to say debut for him, but an audition for him. But that for some of the other guys, there's a bit of a thought where it permeates through that the game is not as important because you have these built-in excuses of you're not having Matthews in the lineup. You're not, say, having Muzzin gets a rest day down the stretch. This year has been all about building new habits and proving that you are a different Toronto Maple Leafs team. Defensively, they have been that. The power play has shown, in by my estimation, that they still have some problems when it comes to mental hurdles. These reps, if they still matter for the power play, that means when you're removing certain guys who play on those units, mm-hmm. you're removing those opportunities to get back to normal. So... My my only point here is that this isn't a vacuum where rest is a perfect solution. To me, this is not basketball. This is not the NBA where I know if I take LeBron James out of the lineup for a night that if I put him back in the following one that it's still going to be LeBron James and the Lakers. That the, the Maple Leafs are still a team that despite a very, very good regular season and one where they checked a lot of boxes and one where there's still more optimism if Hyman can come back and if Foligno is a part of this team, it's simply that the sport... The sport doesn't have maybe – is not built the same way for rest days as the way that other sports are. Well, what are we talking about here? Because I, I really don't think there was ever a scenario and still isn't a scenario where they rest the top guys that aren't Matthews, that aren't dealing with something, right? Like I don't ever think that if John Tavares is fully healthy to say, hey, John, we're going to oh, take I do. you to the lineup for, for a couple of games. I, I don't – Not for a I couple, for a night that. here or there, not playing guys in back-to-backs. Dude – Look at what just happened. What's more impactful right now, the power play or potentially losing Zach Hyman for the playoffs? These are the kind of conversations that they have to be having where they go, what we cannot afford right now are injuries. What we cannot afford right now is putting guys in precarious positions where they're, where they're playing too much and we're gassing them out before the postseason. I don't necessarily believe that's what's happening. I just think of if Lourdes Goriel Jr., if there's data that tells the Blue Jays that a beneficial rest day for him when he's got three games coming off, or three days where he's got breaks already built into them, that it makes sense for him to rest. That I'm guessing there is data to suggest that hockey players shouldn't be playing in back-to-backs after they've already put down 46-plus games of of regular season hockey. That's all. So there's got to be these points where they're having these discussions that we're having right now where they go, what is the value of sitting Tavares tonight? What is the value of mitigating some of the risk? And Mm -hmm. versus making sure that you have a guy who can eat 20 minutes for you, not adding to the stress of other players, and also hurting some of those repetitions that you're going to need with, say, a guy like Nick Foligno, who you have to work in the lineup. It's it's a bit of a tricky stretch for this team all of a sudden where they're trying to balance a lot of different priorities. 
there's only one back-to-back remaining during the yep. regular season. There's 11 games too, right? So mm-hmm. the idea of protecting players from injuries, if there was a perfect wave your magic wand, if you could just rest everybody, you play the Marlies for the next 11 games, the Leafs are still in the playoffs, and even if they're fourth of the four teams and everybody is at their best and you know that they're going to look at their best in the playoffs, I would say, let's do that. But that's clearly never going to be the case. I think what you're going to see is the same thing with Spezza and Thornton. I think the other thing that you're talking about in evaluating this team in the final 11 games is the bottom end of this roster and having guys kind of trying out for those roles and whether they're going to be a factor when the playoffs get underway in May here. Seeing whether a Nick Robertson can give you something, even if it's not to start the playoffs, if you get an injury, can he factor into the top six? I I think think those things are important. I think those are important. I also think that while it's not everything, that you are going to have a level of intensity, especially with these two Winnipeg games coming up, right? Mm. Because that's not nothing. And Winnipeg certainly thinks it's important to to win those two games and be atop the division. I think you're going to see their attempted best lineup, especially when those are probably Nick Foligno's first two games as a Maple Leaf. Well, yeah, you're going to see their best lineup. They're clearly not resting, guys. I also don't believe the pressure on the Jets is nearly what it is on the Leafs. Not only from just a media and fan standpoint, but from a team standpoint in terms of what the expectation of the season is. The Leafs are going to have a lot of guys that are playing for this team not be here next year. Yeah. They're not Joe Thornton doesn't have another year left in the tank. I don't know if Wayne Simmons does, frankly. <laughs> yeah. They're probably not going to have Freddie Anderson. They are going to have to pay Zach Hyman. And they are going to be in a season where maybe Travis Dermott leaves and they're going to have to ask themselves some very, very difficult questions about the future of Morgan Riley with this core. It's a very, 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 very urgent season. You're right. I like seeing some of the guys down the lineup, but to me, the Robertson thing is more of a rep in case of an injury. It's more of a, hey, you've skated with the team so that if something happens, you can do this. But ideally... I don't think he's there. One, he's not – I don't think he's good enough to be there right now. If we get Bourne back at some point, I'll ask him a little bit more to elaborate on it and get his thoughts. But two, I believe that game one anyways, to start, they will do the we're giving veterans an opportunity. And that's going to extend beyond just the urgency of the season. That's going to extend to – When you're trying to attract free agents to this market and you want to build your team this way, you can pick nits at whether or not the Leafs should be playing Thornton or Simmons in the first round of the playoffs, and you can balance it with the urgency to win and whether or not it is the best lineup construction from a win probability model. But if your formula moving forward is that you need to be able to attract veteran players to cheap money contracts, part of that agreement has to be you're not going to sit them for a Nick Robertson heading or a Pierre Engvall heading into a playoff series when it might be your last, right? This is kind of the yeah. difficult dance that you have to balance. Again, it's all these balancing of priorities. This is what this stretch run is, balancing of priorities. Rest, versus reco- yeah. rest and recovery versus trying to win and habit forming, trying to build chemistry between lines versus trying to find out if different combinations can work. And lastly... 
whether or not you're arresting veterans or pushing them forward and giving them added minutes and added responsibilities in a must-win season where you've sold them on being a part of a team that can win a Stanley Cup. It's a lot to juggle. That, like a week ago, I was looking at this thinking, man, what the hell are we going to talk about with the Leafs? Mm-hmm. What are we going to talk about? Because of all the things you said. They're the best team in the North Division when they're healthy and goaltending and blah, 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 and we'll get to that later too. But that's basically the Achilles heel or the way that it looks so far. That and the power play. You've got to throw the power play in there now because we're, we've come to the point where it's not just a, it's going to fix itself. It's now 11 games left, you said. I don't trust that they're going to fix it in 11 games. Uh, it looks so unbelievably bad that it's... I actually think it's ahead of goaltending in terms of like the problem index. I really do. I really think it's a problem. At least we've seen the goaltenders play well, and Jack Campbell, yeah. whatever, he lets in a bad goal last night, I think, in overtime, but it's always really, really hard to do the the goalie judgment game on three-on-three. On three. The power play, they need that. Like, you've got to have that to win. There's maybe not going to be as many calls. You're not going to have this. But in these tight-checking games where it's going to come down to the slightest of margins, if you're telling me the Leafs can't score on their power play and that they're momentum killers, that's going to bury them more than a potentially one bad goal here or there, that they can't recover from a bad goal. Go back and look at the two seven-game series against the Boston Bruins and how much of those two series were decided on special teams both way, both penalty killing and the ability to score on the power play if you had better special teams in those two series we might be viewing this core very differently in their successes in the postseason you're right like (laughs) the only thing that's tough about the conversation is i don't know what they do because they've they loaded it up again yesterday and it's yeah nothing seems to work with this team uh nothing seems to work with uh born's technology we'll try and rectify that issue and uh reconnect with him on the other side it's good shows leafs hour uh, ben Annis, J.D. Bunkus, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, many people today are having cellular telephone difficulties. It's a perfect time for that. Locked in your house, you can't go outside, can't talk to anyone on your phone. That's good. It's great. <laughs> having a great day. Feeling really good. Um, a producer can't even text other people. Uh, to you get can't call them. No, he can't I call them, can't text them. Like, can't get out, can't, can't go do a thing. Yep. Yeah, can't get people connected through their Wi-Fi. This is great. This is really no, good it's, stuff. It's really good. And people, not me, mm-hmm. but people, were referencing the David Ayers game yesterday no. in reference to that loss. I'm glad you said that because you, yeah, because you, if you called do it that, embarrassing. No, yes, if you do okay. that, then you're dumb. It's, I'm sorry, but and I, I don't mean to do... I don't mean to enter your safe spaces and give you should have given trigger warnings. And maybe I'm just triggered because <laughs> everything is falling apart with our show because of cell service interruptions, which, again, is like what's happening. But David Ayers is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened in the history of hockey. There's never been anything more embarrassing than that. He was legitimately a shooter tutor. He was someone where if you just got pucks on net, the Leafs were going to win. They were down a couple of goals and they were minus a million favorites that you you jumped on it when it was still a plus yeah. number before the book got on it and I've never been more jealous of a bet because it immediately froze and, sh- and shifted over, right? It was one of the greatest bets of all time because it was a yeah. lock. Emptied the because it was a lock. It. 
It was a lock, it was a lock, it was a lock. And all the Leafs had to do was have effort, and they didn't have any effort. They couldn't gain the zone. They couldn't get shots. The few shots they put on David Ayers went in the net. It was truly a crisis moment for Maple Leaf fans, where you had built all these years to see this team built this way and perform like that, where everything went out the window when it came to how you build a hockey team and whether or not you can ha- you can go get just skill on top of skill and a pushback to things like heart mattering, something that had been basically mocked by internet hockey fans for the last five years. It all came to this point where you had to reevaluate everything. Last night's game was embarrassing in the sense of oh, you should have won, and it's embarrassing that they get to have their win over you and get to celebrate over you. It wasn't embarrassing in terms of effort level. They had, I think I saw a stat yesterday that they had more high danger chances than the rest of the teams in the NHL combined last night. That they just basically peppered Holtby. They had a Spezza shot that goes inside the post and out in the most flukish of ways. They played a, a fine hockey game. There was nothing about them where they were dragging or they played very poorly against the Canucks. It was just embarrassing. No, it was just an embarrassing game in the sense of you don't want to lose that one. It was a guaranteed win night. It was an expected win. When you don't win those games, it stinks. Kudos to the Canucks, too. They deserve a lot of credit. And I looked at that line before the game and thought, I really should be betting the Canucks here because it was a little out of whack. I think the Leafs were something like minus 400 favorites in a hockey game, which it's is... the the biggest underdog victory in the last 10 years of advanced stats yeah. and evaluating winning percentage probability. They were like right. 20-some-odd percent chance of winning in a hockey game in which the Buffalo Sabres occasionally win. Right. This I, And I usually follow this philosophy when it comes to baseball gambling, where if I see a massive discrepancy between the two teams when it comes to the odds, I go, well, it's still baseball. Um, this isn't the NBA. I'm not going to bet the other side necessarily in basketball, where I know that the tanking Orlando Magic are playing the Milwaukee Bucks. I'll probably just stay away from betting the dog in that one. But when it comes to hockey, yeah, who couldn't see a game like that happening? And, dude, Braden Holpe... That guy deserves a ton of credit for that win. He was spectacular. He's a vet. They brought him in there to be that kind of a presence. He battled all night, and I thought that him giving them a chance, him playing the way that he did, inspired the rest of the team to give the effort that they did down the stretch and be able to find their second win and and play that way. And this gets us to the part of the show that we've been doing what feels like every Monday for the entire season, which is, are the Leafs going to get that? Are the Leafs going to get a performance like that when they need it? When the Leafs need a goaltender to battle and to be their best player for a couple of periods while they try and find themselves in a meaningful game, are they going to be able to find it? Let's just start with this. If you had a Jack Campbell rating, confidence rating, out of 10, what do you think the highest it was, and where do you think it's at right now? Oh, the highest it was at a 10. No, you couldn't come have been on. more. You had a 10. You thought you thought so. You would have said going into the playoffs, Jack Campbell would have been a 10 for you. Come on, think about this question for more than a second. What was your highest I mean, rating of Jack undefeated. Campbell? Yeah, he was undefeated with a save percentage of like 940. 
and you and still had a then, 10, though, in a small sample of a goaltender that has been a historically a backup. Well, in his – okay. I, I guess a 10 is too much. Like I, that, I overdid yeah. it? Like, okay, so that's not what okay, you want. Nine. No, you can – okay. Mine was not that high. I would have said that the highest I've ever felt was about a 7.58. Okay, no, I was as high as you could possibly be, especially when, yes, you're right, he had never been a prolonged starter throughout his career, but the career numbers, save percentage-wise, were good. And he's always been derailed by injuries. There a 10 moments, as you go though, into the playoffs with Connor Hellebuck or Carey Price in his prime. Like, that, you got to think so, about this as, as you have a goaltender that you trust with all... He's the best player on your team as a 10. I should have maybe explained these ratings to you. I yeah, thought it was kind of I a know, simple game. Is- but you convoluted numbers that meaningless numbers. No, like, this isn't a meaningless about? number. If you're going into the playoffs tomorrow and you had to rank the units, right? So okay. out of ten, different your than, confidence you, you of the ten in the power play. You asked me what my confidence was in in the goaltending at the time. In the time, it was a ten. Okay, but you're talking about going into the playoffs. Reframe the question. At the very peak of where Jack Campbell was, had you started the playoffs the next day? You okay. would have said 10? No, that's different. That's different. Okay. Going into the playoffs is a totally unknown, considering the guy now has zero... cranky because everything has changed on the show. Everything is falling apart, and so now well, it's cranky. It's it, the cranky talk. It, it, to clarify your question. No, it was 10 in that regular season game where he won 11 in a row. It was 10. I had 100% confidence in Jack Campbell in those regular season games in which he just... No pucks got past him. And for whatever reason, he had the magic attached to him. Now, well, okay, if it was a playoff game, if we were talking about him playing, like, after win number 11, they were starting game one of a postseason series. You're right. It would be probably a seven or something, considering seven the unknowns. Eight. Seven yeah, to considering... eight. You'd be feeling good, not great. Mm-hmm. Now it's, we're back to five. Yeah, we're back to five. And... Okay, so I have two quick things on Jack. Number one is... It's probably a little harsh right now, the judgment of his game. He's been playing a lot. He's been playing through an injury, and he's still mostly played well. He's still come up with a bunch of big saves. He has not been a terrible goalie through this stretch. I don't even think that he's killed them through the stretch. If you get two goals and the goalie lets in three, it's really hard for me to look at it and say, well, you didn't really do your job. You let in three goals, including an overtime, to the Canucks. A lot of them very, very clean looks. Wasn't awful. We can say that he should have one of those, which I think is a fair criticism. So when we say, did Jack Campbell play well? We would say, no, but he was okay, right? He wasn't bad. He was okay. It's the same thing that I wanted to have conversations when it came to Freddie Anderson with. So overreacting to a couple of games with Jack Campbell is definitely what's happening here, right? Yes. The next thing is, though, is it's kind of fair to overreact because of what you've said. This is the best Leafs team that they've ever assembled, and there's a lot of anxiety as to whether or not they're going to be undone by goaltending. And it's been a problem for them for... Over a year, it's been two years. It's been two years where you have to litigate and discuss and debate whether or not the goaltending is good enough. And finally, when there was this shred of optimism, when you thought, oh, okay, well, maybe they have such good goaltending that it's going to be a problem to figure out which guy it has to be, I would say that you're back to at least wanting to see Freddie Anderson 
uh, in the regular season that you really, really are hoping that he can show you something because this is kind of the Jack Campbell story, just a little bit anyways, which is that it's largely unproven and you don't know what you're getting. Three, this is the going to be the unfair part to Jack Campbell, so brace yourselves. Jack Campbell is the quote-unquote good guy. He's the happy guy. He's the guy that everybody loves because he's the team puppy. I'm sure that the only reason Jack Campbell got to the NHL is because he is a badass competitor who cares infinitely about winning games. You and I have talked about this in the past, that I'm sure a lot of this is genuine, but there's part of it that is also maybe not a facade, that's strong, but part of it that's a little amplified, right? For media, for teammates, whatever. We've all known people like this where when they're good guys, they, they amplify the good guyness. They lean into it. But watching him go through a little bit of a stretch where he has not been A1 and where this team has been losing, I think it's a fair thing to bring up whether or not when you're someone who rides the highs of highs and you're going through this winning streak and you're starting to believe that you could be a goaltender in the playoffs and that you could be the guy of the future and you're playing very well and it's coinciding with a lot of happiness and and joy, that when things start to go south and things start to go a little bit poorly, you don't really have the you don't have the reps to be able to deal with getting yourself out of that funk as easily as other guys. He was pretty good with the media yesterday all things considered. Like he wasn't down in the dumps Jack Campbell like no, he has been in the past which is where he shocking. Goes, yeah. He said the thing about the guys deserve the two points which was fine and that whole BL yeah. played him which was also true, but he wasn't um he didn't sound devastated which I don't yeah. want him to sound. I want Jack yeah. Campbell to sound like, hey, I could have been better. He played better than me. I recognize that there's a bit I've got to do, but ultimately I'm going to completely erase this and move forward. He's had a bit of a front-runner career as a Maple Leaf. This is the first little bit of adversity, and so now it's a different test for him. And this is what happens when you accumulate data about a guy. Can you bounce back from the losses? Can you carry yourself out of this? Can you be the one who elevates it without the Leafs having to put five, six goals past the other goaltender? Can you get back to that level? And if Jack Campbell plays a bunch of these games, if he plays these Winnipeg games, for example, where he is going to be asked to outplay the other goaltender or match the other goaltender, how will he respond to that? It's a big, big, big test for Jack Campbell. It's the biggest one that he's had so far as a Toronto Maple Leaf the best athletes in all sports, whether it be hockey, baseball, golf, whatever, when things go poorly for those athletes, it feels like their demeanor never wavers. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have confidence for years and years, for forever and ever, and it doesn't matter what happens to them. It's a bad break, and I know my own abilities, and of course, like the, even the mere suggestion that things were going off the rails for that person, they would laugh you out of the room. Does that exist with Jack Campbell? Because I think it's a fair it's a fair thing to wonder considering how he feels like he has a lack of confidence when things are going poorly. Can you be a guy that basically fakes it? That fakes that you know it's going to go well? Can you instill that, that level of confidence in the rest of your teammates even though you've never been there before? It's a great question and one that we don't have answered. And it's, one, it's the second biggest question or point of intrigue it's really the most important thing we need to figure out uh, this season, but it's the only 
other major sticking point that I'm I'm really paying attention to in these final mm-hmm. 11 games is goaltending. The other is I have one where other. Nick Foligno fits in. Oh, no. Well, to me, again, the power rankings of what you need to see down the stretch go one power play correcting itself and looking competent. Because I do believe this is where I'm at with the goaltending. It's not maybe going to be ideal, but it's going to be okay. I don't think Jack Campbell sucks. I don't think Freddie Anderson sucks. If you have those two guys to be able to switch back from, I do think you're going to get a baseline of competent goaltending, right? If, if, if the Maple Leafs get the Freddie Anderson they've seen in the postseason now for four right. years, they win they're the fine. North Division. They're win. Yeah, they're winning every single time. This is the weird thing about the Freddie Anderson story is that, of course, he's let in bad goals in the postseason. But guess what? The Leafs have had bad games. People act like the Leafs never had bad games and it was just Freddie Anderson that was letting in bad goals. No. no. Leafs didn't show up for Game 5 against Columbus last year. Freddie Anderson let in a bad one and everyone said, well, it's Freddie Anderson's fault. Uh, where were all the goals they scored? Right. Didn't happen. Did they score a lot of goals? No. Do, you, do, do we just forget about Game 6 against Boston where they have a chance to close out at home and Freddie Anderson plays brilliantly but the team uh, takes a poo-poo in front of him? No, right. we don't talk about those games. We just talk about goals that went in because they're easier to remember. That's the whole thing. If the Leafs get the goaltending that they've gotten from Freddie Anderson the last couple of years, they get it in the first round against the Montreal Canadiens in front of this Maple Leafs team, they're going to win. So can it go up? Certainly can if it's that, you feel great. I don't. I'm worried about the goaltending having some bad games against the Jets, and maybe being their undoing and having bad goaltending or having goaltenders that are not healthy. But as of right now, it's right below the power play in terms of things that are important to me. Because again, the power play is supposed to be a weapon for these guys. If we're saying about resource allocation, the cap in this team, the roster construction is: we have talent, we have skill, and when you have a player that's missing. We should be able to score at a rate that is higher than any team in the NHL outside of maybe Tampa Bay. That's the bar. What is the acceptable bar for this power play? Two. It's not even a top five power play. It should be number two. And they're not that. They're 12th, I believe, as of today. Right? Whatever. They're not inside the top ten, that's for sure. They're not inside the top ten. They've got to figure out the power play because it's the one thing that looks broken. The goaltending does not look broken. The power play looks broken. So that's one... The goaltending will always be two. The third one, sneakily, and I really wanted to do this today, and I don't know, we're going to have to have Bourne on again at a different time this week when cell phones work again. Morgan Riley has not played well. And frankly, I can't remember a guy who's played this poorly, who is of this importance, who gets this much hype, who has been sheltered the way that he has been sheltered from criticism. Like, you tell me, that in a market where we hammered John Tavares for the first half of the season, hammered him, where William Nylander is a constant debate as to whether he can even play hockey, where we have crucified Freddie Anderson, a goaltender who has made, who has not only made all-star teams, has looked like one of the best goaltenders in the NHL for stretches, where has the Morgan Riley discussion been? They're shuffling up the D pairings. Why do you think they're shuffling it up? Why do you think that they're moving things around? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you why. It's because one guy has been not living up to the bargain when it comes to the blue line. It's Morgan Riley. There's been conversations about whether or not the power play should be shaken up and whether he should be the guy that's actually on that. Whether you go to five forwards, because I, I don't think they have another defenseman for it. Jake Muzzin doesn't look good on that unit either. But 
I, I truly cannot remember a player of this skill, this ability, this importance that has gone as under-discussed as Morgan Riley has. Truly. Like, I, no. can you provide me and with especially an example? A def- especially a defenseman. Like, usually those guys get absolutely destroyed uh, in the media and by the fans. Uh, perhaps our next guest has some insight into this. Uh, former Kings assistant GM Mike Fuda is on the line right now. doesn't have a telephone. How's it going, Mike? I'm doing okay, guys. I, I sorry, sorry, I missed your uh, prelude to who you were uh... – we're talking about here. Morgan Riley, Morgan Riley, and his play this season, in an overall sense, and that it has not been consistent. It's been very uneven, and that usually when you're a defenseman and that happens to you, you get ridden out of town. And it hasn't happened to him. He hasn't been abominable, but it has not been great. Yeah, well, I'm glad he hasn't been ridden out of town. Uh, I do agree. I think uh, for a kid that. You know, they've kind of thrown the ball to to be their number one. I don't think, I mean, a lot of NHL teams have guys that technically get the designate number one, but they're really not number one defensemen, like as opposed to like a, like a headman's a pure number one, correct? You know, and yep. just because you're the best defenseman on a unit doesn't mean you're necessarily a legitimate number one. And I thought that Morgan, based on his junior career and where he was trending with the Leafs, was, was trending towards closer to being a number one. Um, it's just, it's just strange. He's been, he's been very inconsistent. And for me, the one thing I've never questioned about him until this year is some of his decisions. Uh, I've always thought he had very good hockey sense and, uh, I've just seen some really strange reads. Um, and I, he's not a lazy hockey player by any stretch of the imagination. Like this guy, my, my coach, Mike Stuthers had him in junior and said, this is one of the most dedicated team guys and you can tell his teammates love him as well but some of his decisions without the puck um and defensively and that's where that's got to be his bread and butter because there's really i mean i think that's why they brought in tyson berry last year to get a legitimate power play guy because i think morgan isn't uh he's a good he's a good power play option but he's not a great power play option uh but i agree with you guys he's not playing his best hockey right now but i also think that if this team's going to have one of these ruts and slumps, this is the time to have it. Uh, this is the time to have it. I mean, I had talked about, you know, even even Jack, uh, you know, it was great that he was doing what he was doing for the team. I mean, I think it proves now more than ever how important Freddie being healthy is going to be for them to have a chance to, to go a long distance. But uh, I'm more frustrated with Jack and his press conferences, to be perfectly honest with you. Hey. I mean, I, I love I love the fact that there's an accountability factor. Um and that's great, especially internally um, with your teammates when they know, like, it's easy. I think it's fine to stand up in front of your team in the dress room and say, guys, whatever, I'm letting you down. I got to be better. But when you're constantly doing it on television, especially in a market like Toronto, I mean, even they're picking up, but it's now become a talking point on Hockey Night in Canada. Like, how down is he on himself? And, I, and I've told him, I mean, I've told him personally. And I mean, I know, and because I just said, you don't need to do it, Jack. People know what you're all about. But when you start to do that constantly in the market like Toronto, especially when every Leaf fan and hockey fan is watching this in the middle of a pandemic on, with, you know, bated breath because this is the team that has to go the distance, you start to, instead of just saying, well, that's accountability, you start to feel sorry for him. And is he, is the mental toughness there to get through it? And I think it's just something he's got to work on because he is a mentally tough kid, but those post-game com- press conferences are getting hard to watch <laughs> the same thing when he doesn't have a great game. I mean, 
you got to be, you just got to put it beside you and move on to the next game. Mike, we're just bozos who know nothing. Um, but this is what we were just talking about. And it always feels good when somebody who's actually a hockey person comes on and it's like when your eye test matches the numbers, where <laughs> it feels really good because yeah, this has been the discussion that we were having is, Hey, has Jack Campbell's performances been that bad? No, he's had some not as great games. He's not winning 12 in a row, but I don't think that a reasonable person would look at this and say, Jack Campbell is killing them in hockey games right now. Jack Campbell is not giving them competitive outings. And yet he had a, a media conference the other day where it was almost like, is he going to be able to make it to his hotel or back to his condo? Is he going to be all right? Are we going to have to put him under on a watch list? Like he's dragging and you, you just said it. You've had conversations with this guy about the way that he comports himself. But do you think that that is going to be a real hurdle for him moving forward, that we need to kind of have this test or that he needs to check this box of, hey, Jack, you've got to prove that when things aren't going great, that you can dig out of this rut by yourself? Uh, no, I think he's he's come a long way. And this was part of the issues with him is just that that mental challenging yourself. But but again, I, I can't repeat. This is a real genuine kid. He means it, and I think he's trying. In his mind, when the team isn't playing great, he's trying to deflect from them, right? Like trying to deflect away from others. But in a market like Toronto, it just puts a it puts a spotlight clearly on you. Is can I get through this? And I agree with you. It felt like the other night. It was like, are you going to be like, are you go, are you okay? Like you just won eleven games in a row and set an NHL or a Leaf record. Okay, there's going to be blips. Okay, turn the page. And then again, I, there's nothing wrong with standing up in front of your teammates and giving that and giving that um, vibe off. And then internally, you guys can pick each other up. But when you're doing it at a press conference with the whole world watching, I think it can be read in a lot of different ways. I mean, the other night, Kelly Rudy was basically throwing out an olive branch to him. You know, right. you know, you're going to be okay. Are you going to be okay? And that's just... You got to be, you got to be, it's again, and I don't, I don't think it's a mental toughness because he knows what to do to reset to be better. But it, if we, if you send out that distress signal, that would concern me whether you're ready, you know, what's it going to be like in a playoff game if you lose a playoff game? Like, what's that press conference going to be like? Like, just man up. Your team loves you. Just get through it. There's, there's blips. Nobody's going to go 20 and 0, and nobody's never going to have a goal not sneak through your arm. Just, like, but again, from a, I don't have a, I mean, this whole leaf thing is new for me because it's the first year I've been back and got to take it on where it's like everything is. And, and I, I've always seen it because my dad used to yell at the television constantly when I lived in Toronto. Uh, but it's, uh, I think it's because they see this team and what it's capable of doing. And I still think that Nick Felino, he's not Superman, but I think he's going to bring a whole nother level of accountability i'd be more concerned i'm sorry i didn't hear you guys I usually listen but i i was not listening this morning and whether you guys addressed it i mean i don't know where the hyman thing's at that would concern me more than anything yeah. is hyman's oh. status um because this as far as i've said it before it's clear matthews is this team's mvp because he's just that good but if you're telling me who your most consistent player is who's your coach's dream and who translates to the playoffs every night it's hyman so I certainly hope that um, you know that that is not something of consequence that he can get through and get back healthy and and ready to go. I think you were the guest that said if you want to learn the Leaf systems, you just watch Zach Hyman play. And yeah, no, that was it's funny because Daryl Daryl Sutter used to say with us, yeah. um, if you want to pre scout the Kings, just watch Trevor Lewis. 
because from a coaching standpoint, that's exactly the way I want our system to play. <laughs> and and it, it's just, it, and you can find player and everybody has it. And I, and I, the thing I said about Hyman too was it's not just like Babcock took a lot of heat, but because he played Hyman in every, every, every position, because he was, he was his dream player too. And then you move on to the next guy and it's the same guy who has won the coaches over with his accountability and his play away from the puck. So everybody on that team loves to play with Zach Hyman. And I just, it was just, it wasn't pretty to watch. Um, I would have liked to seen, and this is probably going to get me in a little bit of hot water, but when you're up by that many points in a playoff series, that's one of those things where I would have liked to seen a little bit more of a reaction from them uh, with regards to, and again, this is a 1970s old school thing, but that's your most efficient player taking a blatant knee on knee. And there's part of me, especially when your power plays over a thousand, uh, it's not a. It's not something that you have to say. Ooh, hold up, we got a five minute power play coming up. There should. I thought there should have been a little bit more of a reaction, other than just waiting to see if there's going to be a five minute major because that was not good. That's a really interesting perspective, actually, and I, I don't know if it was one that was shared widely by a lot of people, but probably because of the perspective of Zach Hyman, which is this is a guy who can stick up for himself. But you're right. If we're looking at things that are supposed to be different about the Maple Leafs this year, it's that they're supposed to be tougher. And part of that extends to sticking up for teammates. And if those guys don't know that Zach Hyman's a star, then I, like, I don't know what to tell them. They, they do know that he's a star. They do know that he's one of their most important players. And yeah, not having that bite, not having that happen at some point in the game. At, like at, Right after you said it, I thought, yeah, that's actually very, very true. If that's Austin Matthews, we'd be crying for it. And, well, and it, was, it, was, it was right in front of their – no offense, right. it wasn't one of those that you need a – you, you can see their verbal reaction because the entire team stands up. So there wasn't something that was out of like it was tucked away in a corner where you didn't get a view and you need to see a replay. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that one guy or there should have been a premeditated fight after, but I would have liked to see more reaction at the time uh, on the ice other than, you know, there is that sentiment, ooh, we've got a five-minute major coming up. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's go to work. <laughs> like, in fairness, those are the little things that I look forward to see. That, uh, and I and I honestly, I think if Wayne was on the ice sim or something, you know, he would have at least yeah. been in a scrum. There would have been some kind of scrum. And I know I know for sure if, if Felino was on the ice, that Edler, he wouldn't have been concerned about the five-minute major coming up. I, I get that stuff in the playoffs, but right now when you're trying to define yourself as a team and, and this new identity that you had, I just would have liked to have seen a, a, better, a better reaction. No, that's a great point. And uh, Edler probably going to receive some supplemental discipline, if not today, uh, sometime soon. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for doing this on uh, short notice. Appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Stay safe. All right, you too. There's Mike Fuda.